Hello, 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 and welcome to the Timelines Project, a podcast all about the lore and story of Magic the Gathering, a very fun and interactive trading card game. If you're new, welcome. If you're not, welcome back. The previous two episodes of the podcast were about Planeswalker, and now we're back for Planeswalker Part 2. So if you're new, you should check out Planeswalker Part 1, and maybe Episode 6, which was on the metaphysics of planes. Now, let's get started with the topic for today, but first, recap time. Two episodes ago, we were talking about Urza. This week, we shall continue to talk about Urza. Now, you'll remember, the book Planeswalker is split into two timelines, and for this week's episode, I thought of a way to distinguish between the two. I'll call the more recent timeline, the present, and the older timeline, Flashpoint. In the present... Zantra had gone on a quest to find a man similar to Urza's brother, Mishra, in hopes that this fake Mishra could snap Urza out of his madness. Zantra managed to find this Mishra, and she is in the process of executing her plan. Last week's episode ended in Flashpoint, with Urza and Zantra being overwhelmed in a world of ice by death metal hellspawn called Phyrexians. And we're going to start in the present, so I guess. Chapter 13, Back to the Future. We return to the present a few months after Zantra first brought Rat to Urza. Zantra and Rat were traveling around to different lands. After days, they finally arrived at their destination, the capital of Efuin Pinkar, which was the country Rat was from. Xantra suspected that the king had been turned into a Phyrexian, and they were going to scope out the situation. They arrived at nightfall and observed six cloaked figures leaving the castle where the king lived. They followed them in a magic bubble sphere that Xantra could create by saying a rhyme. The six cloaked figures traveled out to an abandoned orchard and began to build a Phyrexian portal called an Amulator. Any amulator has two sides, the nether end and the anchor end. The nether end is the one that you can move around and take to different worlds. They look like small black discs that you can roll out into large, smooth black circles. Once an amulator is rolled out, someone on the nether end must anchor it so that things can pass back and forth through it. Xantra decided to just observe, but when she saw the amulator... She knew there was trouble. Portals to mechanized hellscapes often are. Xantra drew her sword and ran off to fight the humans, leaving Rat to set up a mini portable mortar given to him by Urza that he could use to bombard the portal with explosions. Xantra took down three of the swordsmen, but was too late to stop the other three, and the ambulator's surface turns silver, signaling that something was coming through. A Phyrexian emerged through the portal, an amalgamation of flesh covered by plates of metal. It was roughly humanoid, with gemstone eyes, a metal wedge-shaped head, and a laser cannon for an arm. It shot a blast at Xantra, but she had transformed the transport bubble into magic armor. She was stunned, but otherwise unhurt. It struck at her with its metal arm and broke her right elbow. It was going to kill her but out of nowhere came two bombs from Urza's mortar. Rat had saved her life, 
Sancho struggled to her feet and began disabling the portal. Chapter 14, Sarah's Realm. It's time for Flashpoint time. Last week, we left off with Xantra and Urza ambushed on a desolate world of ice and snow. Xantra fainted, and the last thing she saw was Urza become a blinding pillar of light. Xantra awoke in an unfamiliar place. It wasn't the ice world, nor was it Phyrexia. She was lying on the ground in a field of golden grass and rolling hills, like freshly tilled farmland. The sun was just beginning to rise, but Xantra's shadow was right at her feet, as if it was high noon. There was a woman standing near her. Xantra tried to get information from her, but she was very vague, like a magic eight ball. Xantra tried to get up and leave, but after only a few steps, she was completely worn out. She continued to walk across the field, away from the strange woman. Xantra walked for about three days, though it was hard to tell because the sun was fixed at the horizon. Finally, she saw a figure standing in the never-ending field. It was the woman. Xantra had walked away for three days, which means the woman either had made her way around Xantra, then stopped to wait for her, or Xantra had walked in a huge circle, which can't have been possible because she was walking in a straight line the whole time. Xantra stayed with the strange lady for four days, and on the fourth day, specks appeared on the horizon. Xantra learned from the woman that they were angels, and they had found Xantra and Urza. Urza was with the creator of the plane, a mysterious lady. After this initial breakthrough, Xantra learned much more. The woman's name was Sosina, and the creator of the plane was a woman named Sarah. Sarah's realm, the plane she was on, consisted of lots of floating islands. Once you were on a floating island, you couldn't reach the edge by walking. You had to fly off. That's why Xantia had been walking for three days. She had eventually reached the edge and then Pac-Manned over to the other side of the uh, island. Xantia decided to wait and figure out a plan of escape. Her opportunity came when her island crashed into another, and suddenly she was flying through the air. Chapter 15. So, bubbles are evil now. Xantra and Sosina were flung into the air as their floating island collapsed around them. Xantra, almost on instinct, created her magic bubble that Urza made for her. Xantra had swallowed a device that allowed her to intentionally yawn and create a magic bubble around her that would allow her to fly. Normally, the sphere was entirely clear and see-through, but in Sarah's realm, it came out as black oil. Xantra and Sosina couldn't see anything, and they slowly descended until the sphere hit ground and collapsed into a sooty paste around them, like a normal bubble would, without the sooty paste part. So Sina helped Xantra to a safe place where they could rest and recuperate after their wild ride. I think now is a good time as any to explain why the sphere came out black. Sarah's realm is an artificial plane, just like Phyrexia, which is what I talked about in the previous episode of the podcast. What I didn't talk about, uh, and something I should have talked about, is that normal planes have a fairly even distribution of mana. It's not a perfect balance, but it's fairly close. Sarah's realm is a world composed of almost entirely white mana. 
Urza created Xantra's magic bubble with black mana, I guess. So when Xantra summoned her bubble, the entire plane rejected its presence, and it came out like oil. Anyway, that's the short little metaphysics lesson for today, I guess. Xantra was half-blind and pretty badly injured when guess who decided to show up? The Angels, with a mega-death laser called the Aegeus. In Greek mythology, the Aegeus was a shield that had the head of Medusa carved into it. It was carried by Zeus and sometimes Athena. It could strike fear into any foe who saw it, and was basically indestructible. In Magic's multiverse, it's described as being five floating diamonds, four smaller crystals surrounded by a gem of light brighter than the sun. The Aegeus activated, blasting a beam so bright that it could blind you through closed eyes. The sunbeam cut through the island, getting closer and closer to Xantia and Zosina. It was then, at the last possible moment, that the Lady of the Realm, Sarah herself, decided to show up. She stopped the Aegeus with a single word, and the scene faded to black as Xantra's vision cut off for the second time. When Xantra recovered her vision, she was being carried by an archangel. Sarah's archangels have an epic pair of sunglasses that cover their whole face, with no slits to see. More a mask, really, but sunglasses sound cooler. The archangels were about seven feet tall, with white feathered wings jutting from their back. After not too long, they arrived at Sarah's palace, featured in the plane chase art for Sarah's realm. They landed, and the angels and Sarah left, taking Sosina with them, and Xantra was left with Urza. Chapter 16, Kentucky Fried Angel. Let me just take a moment to paint a picture of the palace in your mind. Close your eyes and imagine a monolithic building, larger than life, like a cathedral. The building is all gold and gray, but appears to be glowing white. You wander through the soaring corridors and the asymmetric mazes of columns made of white crystal. As light flows through the building, it fractures, creating marvelous prisms of color. It seems perfect. Just a little too perfect. Alright, back to Urza and Xantia. Urza and Xantia were alone together. Urza played the role of the concerned father figure, and Xantia the annoyed child. Xantia was annoyed because Urza hadn't tried to find her. Urza was understanding, but annoyingly vague, sticking up for Sarah. Urza led Xantia up an endless flight of stairs made of a tree, into a central room of the palace. The room was huge, with a golden capsule of crystal and light hovering in the center. Sarah was there, and Kenadern, who I neglected to mention earlier, he is an archangel and Sosina's lover. Kenadern explained to Xantia that Sosina was badly injured and was in Sarah's recharge capsule, which was the giant floating coffin. Artificial planes must be maintained at all times, otherwise they will collapse. Sarah used the chamber to go into a hibernation state and prevent her realm from collapsing. Xantia said goodbye to Sosina, and then after a heated argument where Sarah tried to convince Urza to stay and leave Xantia, 
Urza and Xantia left. Shortly after leaving, Phyraxines attacked, forcing Sarah to leave, and the plane began a slow and steady collapse. Xantia would never return, but Urza would when the plane was on the verge of destruction. Chapter 17 and 18 Screaming Spiders Xantia had blacked out when the portal exploded. Rat had launched an explosive projectile that blew up the portal when she was attempting to disable it. She awoke to see Urza descending from the sky in a ball of lightning and flame. They exchanged a few angry words. Urza was pissed she had taken on the Phyrexians without letting him know about the threat. Xantia was defiant because Urza is an asshole. Urza left, and when Xantia and Rat returned to the cottage a few days later, she was surprised to find he had come to his senses. For real this time. Urza had a plan. The Phyrexians had been infiltrating Dominaria, and so Urza would fight fire with fire. He had devised an artifact that would produce a sound at a frequency that would vibrate the molecules of glistening oil, which is the lifeblood of Phyrexians, and the sound would cause the oil to vibrate apart, essentially causing the Phyrexians to self-combust. They would place the spider-like devices on walls all over the continent, and the Null Moon would activate, killing every Phyrexian in every city on the continent. The Null Moon's origins will be covered when we cover it, but for now, be content that it is a powerful conduit for white mana. Urza put a white mana crystal on the spiders, and at the Null Moon zenith, the flow of white mana would be strong enough to charge the crystals, causing them to go off simultaneously all over the continent of Teresiere. Urza called them screaming spiders because they kind of looked like spiders. The plan was for Urza and Xantia to plant them in various cities and rats stay back and make more for when they returned. After several months of this, when Xantia had returned from a spider-placing excursion, Rat took her aside. He had tinkered with the spiders and found a way to make them pulverize stone instead of glistening oil, which is actually kind of impressive that he figured that out, which is actually kind of impressive when you think about it. He wanted Xantia to place them in his home country's capital, Pinkar City, specifically the temple. There were two rival factions in the country, which I mentioned in the previous episode on Planeswalker, the Red Stripes and the Shrata. Xantia had learned that they had both secretly been infiltrated by the Phyrexians and were being controlled from the inside. Rat hoped that if the temple and the Red Stripe barracks collapsed along with most of the Red Stripes and the Shrata, it would be seen as a sign from God. Xantia agreed to do it, and the next time Urza took her to place spiders, she traveled by sphere to Pinkar City. Following Rat's instructions, she made it all the way into the temple and planted the stone-shattering spiders, but instead of leaving, she followed the scent of glistening oil down to a chamber below the temple. She turned a corner, and there he was. Gix. In the previous episode, Sancha had watched him get taken down into the seventh sphere, but here he was. He was changed since I last described him, uh, which I think was in The Brothers' War. Taller, more humanoid, and with more green-gold metal skin, 
but not enough to cover the tubes and wires that served as blood vessels and muscles. Planted in his forehead was a large red gem, and it added to his already overly large, out-of-proportion forehead. Behind the demon was a portal to Phyrexia. Before Zantia had time to react, Gix attacked Zantia with a mental attack from his forehead gem. Gix didn't know who she was at first, but when he probed her mind, she threw at him images of his excoriation, and that is when he realized who she was. She was one of Gix's special chosen, and he again attempted to control her, but she fled. Chapter 19 and 20, The Edge of Time Urza and Zantra began a long journey that lasted several Dominarian decades. Uh, this is Flashpoint, by the way, so this is not the present. This is after they left Sarah's realm. They spent many years traveling from plane to plane surrounding the Dominarian Nexus. After Urza was certain that the magical barrier caused by his magical blast was secure, they set off on their journey. Urza's goal was to find the Phyrexians' homeworld in hopes of finding the thing that was powerful enough to drive them off their homeworld. Centuries prior, he had heard tell of a plane at the edge of time, a world called Equilor. And so, they made their slow and steady progress to the edge of time, and the oldest known world in the multiverse. When on one of their many stops, they arrived on a world where planeswalkers gathered. This world was called Gastel. While Urza conversed with other planeswalkers, Zantra talked to two other women who were like herself, planeswalker companions. One of them had heard of Phyrexia. Urza returned and told her it was time to leave, and then another planeswalker attacked the small gathering. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but the bubble armor that Zantra was able to create with the device Urza made her swallow allowed her to survive in the Blind Eternities. Urza planes walked away from the world, and Zantra wasn't wearing the armor this time. So Zantra got a nice quick dip in star soup, and when she and Urza emerged from the Blind Eternities, she was almost dead. How she survived, I have no idea. It might have something to do with the fact that she is Phyrexian. She fainted away in Urza's arms as he desperately tried to save her from the fate he had inadvertently brought upon her. Zantra did not die that day, because we're in flashback, and she's the main character. She was asleep for two years on the world that Urza and she had planeswalked to, and that world had really long years. She totally should have died, but then none of the other stuff in this story could have happened, so I'm going to go with uh, Urza turned her body off, basically, so he could figure out how to heal her. And her soul had to mend, which took two of the plane's years. That sounds believable. Moving on. After Xantra recovered, she and Urza continued their journey to Equilor. They finally arrived on the oldest known world. It was a place where violence was a concept, and not an action. The people there were kind. They invited the two travelers to their village. There was a mountain that overshadowed the village where the oldest known beings in the multiverse resided. Urza had come to the plane looking for Phyrexians, but he quickly realized these people could be incredibly powerful if they chose, and he wanted to lead them into a new age of strength and artifice. 
The Equilorians wanted none of it. Urza was power-hungry and a vain lunatic. He only pretended to do what was best for others. Sancha knew it, and so did the Equilorians. They decided that instead of killing Urza, which they totally could have, they told him that the barrier around Dominaria that had been protecting it from the Phyrexians had been destroyed, and he should really get going and see what was happening. Urza and Zantra left after only a month, when they had spent decades looking for the place. Magic lore hasn't returned to Equilor, and I doubt it ever will. In the year 3210 AR, Zantra finally stood on Dominarian soil for the first time. Urza was home, and so was she. Chapter 21, Koilos' Dark Secret. Uh, we're back in the present, by the way. Xantra managed to escape Gix's paralysis spell, and fled Pinkar City to await Urza's return. She was gonna tell Urza about Gix, because normally you want to tell people about a giant mechanical demon, but she decided she didn't want Urza to get mad at her, and then accidentally make her go boom. She wasn't the only one keeping secrets, though. When she and Urza got back to the cabin, where they had left Rat making spiders, Urza told Zantra and Rat to take a hike, so to speak, while he did the last bit of work. And as the title of the chapter would suggest, they decided to go to Koilos. The cabin where Zantra and Urza lived was located on the western half of what used to be the continent of Teresier. Teresier used to be a whole continent about the size of, uh, I would say Australia. I haven't measured it, but I would say Australia. After Urza set off the Silex, Dominaria went into hibernation mode and froze over. When it all unfroze, the excess water flooded much of the land. The middle of Teresier was flooded, leaving the continent split in half, with the east half being called New Argive and the west half at a random assortment of countries. I have a map somewhere. Ah, here it is. Yeah, so Xantra and Rat had to cross a sea appropriately named the Sea of Laments. The trip to Koilos was four and a half days from Western Teresier, nine days in total, there and back. They arrived at the Kerr Ridge by moonlight. The Kerr Ridge was a mountain range where Koilos was located. The next day, they began their exploration of Koilos. While Rat was off in the ruins, Xantra discovered an ancient monolith detailing the history of the Thran, and more importantly, their history with the Phyrexians. There's a prequel book, which I will cover after these four books. It goes into a lot more detail about the Thran and Phyrexian relationship, but here is the briefest of summaries. The Phyrexians were originally part of the Thran. They got mixed up with some dark oil magic and became the machine demons they are today. The remaining Thran managed to force them out of Dominaria, but their losses were too great, and they too disappeared from the continent, leaving only their old relics to be dug up 3,000 years later. Xantia knew she had to get back to Urza and tell him what she had learned, and also that he had wasted 3,000 years looking for the people who were literally right in front of him the whole time. Chapter 22 Storm. On their way back to the cottage, they encountered a storm over the Sea of Laments. Unfortunately, the sphere they were flying in attracted lightning, probably because it was made of some kind of metal. 
The sphere also got knocked around pretty easily by air currents, and after not too long, Xantra and Rat found themselves in the ocean. Urza picked them out of the stormy sea and dropped them off at the cabin. He was furious, and rightly so. He was just finishing up the last batch of spiders to defeat the ever-looming Phyrexian menace, and then he had to drop everything and go pick up his two young protégés from the ocean. I would be mad too. Chapter 23. What the hell is that? 17 days later, Xantra and Rat were in Pinkar City, which is the capital of Rat's home country, Pinkar. Urza dropped them off for the Festival of Fruits, which marked the summer solstice in that part of the world, and for the zenith of the Null Moon, which would activate all the spiders that they had been planting over those many months. They got a room in an inn and went onto the roof to watch the festivities and hostilities unfold. Here's a quick refresher, because it's been a while since we visited this topic. There are two rival groups in Pinkar, the Shrata and the Red Stripes. When Xantia was last there, she and Rat had revealed to the populace that these two rival factions were actually secretly working together to control the country. The population of Pinkar was not happy, but they couldn't do much about it. The Red Stripes were out in force that night, to prevent the inevitable fighting that comes with an angry mob. Let me take a step back for a second and set the scene. Pinkar City was a rather small, walled settlement with multi-level square houses and many courtyards and alleyways built in. The buildings were most likely made out of clay or some form of terracotta. I've always pictured the city as being mostly two-story buildings with colors ranging from white to brown, and cobble streets with many merchant stalls. If you stood on a roof of a building in Pinkar City, you would be able to see out across the whole settlement, with two exceptions, those being the Great Temple and the Palace. Right next to the temple was the Red Stripe Barracks, where Xantia had placed Shatter Spiders. One last important detail is that the Red Stripes and the priests brought out the Holy Book of Pinkar every night of the Festival of Fruits. The night Xantia and Rat were there was one of those nights. Alright, so I've set the scene, and the priests are bringing out the book when the Null Moon nears its zenith and the screaming spiders begin to activate. Many people in the crowd, Red Stripes and festival goers, collapsed. The shatter spiders that Rat had made and Xantia had planted caused the Red Stripe barracks to collapse and the altar in the temple to fall. The screaming stopped and Xantia thought it was all over. And that is when the Null Moon reached its zenith. Any and all Phyrexians exploded. The ones on the ground and the ones strong enough to remain standing self-combusted, plastering the walls of buildings and streets with red and black gore. All across the continent, in every city major enough to have been visited by Xantra and Urza, Phyrexians fell to their knees and were smote from the face of Dominaria as if by some divine being. Xantra survived only because of Urza's armor, which managed to withstand the brute sound. She was still knocked from her feet. The Red Stripes barracks were a pile of rubble, and the temple's domed roof caved in, sending up a great pile of dust, and from the dust emerged a creature from the depths of hell. Copper-green skin, rippling sinews, and a large red gemstone set in the center of his head. This gemstone emitted a red beam through the haze of dust, 
As Xantra watched, the bee became serpents of red light, tinged with black, and crawling their way up and out of the rubble that was the temple. At that precise moment, Urza appeared with light and flame. He was more than a match for Gix, and they battled all through the city in flashy displays, like a lightsaber duel, but with blades the size of houses, and all sorts of spells thrown in for good measure. Finally, Urza chased Gix off with a dragon of light. Instead of pursuing Gix, the dragon returned and healed the city of its destruction, restoring the king of Pinkar, who had been captured by the Phyrexians. Then, Urza took Xantra and Rat to where Gix was waiting, none other than Coilus. Chapter 24 Fevered Visions The sun was just beginning to rise over the Kerr Ridge. Urza had donned battle armor, and with staff in hand, descended the steps into the secret heart of the Thran, where Gix awaited. The battle was short. Gix ignored the two beings that had followed Urza into the catacombs. After each testing each other's defenses, it came down to a battle of wills, a battle that Urza was losing. They were in the portal room at the lowest level of the Caves of Coilifs. Webs of blue light and power emerged from Urza's twin power stone eyes and weaved their way across the room until they met Gix's web of light in the middle of the room. Urza should have overpowered Gix, but the demon was there when Urza's power stones were made, which gave him some sway over them. And slowly but surely, the stones were floating out of Urza's head and towards Gix. If he got to them, then it would all be over for Urza. This story portrays Urza as a narcissistic madman who was incapable of admitting that he was wrong and has a very selective memory. But for all Urza's faults, he was doing what was best for the people, or at least he was trying to. Rat realized this. He had been pretending to be Mishra for several years, and it was almost as if he was Urza's brother back from the dead. With Xantra beside him, he stepped into the web, breaking Gix's concentration long enough for Urza to obliterate him. All that Urza was left with was a small amber stone, Xantra's heart. And that was Planeswalker by Lynn Abbey. It was definitely a good book, and I suggest you read it, because I did leave a lot out uh, that wasn't important to the overall plot, uh, but that stuff I did leave out definitely helps with setting scenes, so I suggest you read it. Next week is a shorter episode for people who didn't listen to the previous episodes. Uh, so if you listen to this episode and episode 6, you don't really have to listen to this one or the next one. After that, I will be covering Time Streams, which picks back up with Urza's quest to defeat Phyrexia. Will he be successful? Probably not, because I have seven more books on his quest lined up after that. Not to mention the prequel books as well. Anyway, this is the end of the episode, so that's all folks. I'll see you next week.